the crown of life is so valuable that James is going to rough us up today. Now, I had to be rough with a friend of mine one time. Campbell McAlpine was going to speak at Westminster Chapel, probably 1999. And I invited all the guys I worked with at the church at Calvary Westminster to come with me. And they all said, nah, nah, nah I'm not going to do that. And one guy said he would. I said, okay, this is going to be fabulous. And Friday night came and he started making these noises. I said, you moron. You're coming with me. I'm not taking no for an answer. You have to come. You said you would. I was really rough on him. And he came with me. And, you know, within five minutes, he turned around to me. You know, this is quiet in Westminster Chapel. You don't dare make a noise. But he turned to me and mouthed the words, Thank you. Because of the impact of this man. And he was speaking on biblical meditations, where I learned how to meditate from this fella. And... I didn't regret being rough on my friend because I knew it would benefit him. Now, you know, James is nicer than me. But the stakes are higher. So, says James, you would give up the crown of life because you're lazy? Not on my watch. Just as we started with Jesus, we want to keep on going until we're perfected and glorified. We want to declare war on our natural laziness. So we're reading in James chapter 1 from verse 22. And here he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religious religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So James commands us here to keep on becoming doers of the word. And see, we began our Christian life by doing the word. That is, we were convinced we were sinners. As James points out, we saw about, in verse 14, 
Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. We sin because of our own lust. And that's one of the things the Word of God convicts us of. It's not anybody else's fault. It's not God's fault. It's not even the devil's fault. It's my fault. Because there's something in me that is way open to temptation. I am a sinner. But not only are we convinced that we're sinners, we're also convinced that God is good. That he is even more for us than we are. That he sent his only begotten son into the world to die for us. That all of our sins would be judged on him. And the one who trusts in him, believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. And we believed that what God said was true. We acted on that word. And we said, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Please wash me. Please make me new in Jesus' name. We depended upon Jesus to save us as we listened to that word of God. So, God did what he said he would do. And everyone who comes to him through Jesus receives forgiveness of sins and is born again. It is of his will, says James, that we're in Christ. So, we did the word. Just like James is talking about. So what do you do now? James says, continue becoming doers of the word. In other words, there's more to do. We are to continue applying the word of God to ourselves. You read it, and you see it, and then you say, am I like that? Am I like Jesus? And you have to say, well, no, not yet. So what do you do with that? You come to Jesus and you ask him to forgive you and cleanse you and change you. So we're continuing, we're persevering, and God continues doing his work in us by his Holy Spirit. So how we started with Jesus is how we continue with Jesus. By exposing ourselves to the word of God and acting upon it. Now you know that's what our life is for the rest of our lives. Until we receive his promise which James says is the crown of life. And it's right here that James says, Don't cheat yourself. That's really a translation of what it says in verse 22. Deceiving yourselves. It means to cheat yourself. To defraud yourself. And the danger is, is that we can listen to the word of God and mentally agree with it. Say, this is true. This is right. I believe it. But then there's a disconnect. And we stop acting upon it. 
And this cheats us. And that means we deprive ourselves of something valuable by depending on something that's not true, as though it were true. Now, what is that valuable thing that I am cheating myself of? It's in verse 21, where it says, save your soul. I'm cheating myself of that. I'm cheating myself of blessing there in verse 12. Perseverance, verse 4. Perseverance is the key to receiving all the other blessings, but I'm cheating myself of that. And in verse 12, I'm cheating myself of the crown of life. So, do I want to cheat myself of all this stuff? No, I don't like ripping myself off. Why should I be my own worst enemy? I think the devil ought to do his own work. I think everybody ought to do their own work. All right. So, how I cheat myself is to be shallow with the word of God. See, we have a natural tendency to be lazy and avoid work. Studio audience, am I right? Okay, they didn't want to do that, but they did nod their heads. We don't want to work. Since when did I want to work? Since just the end of last night, when I could feel every muscle in my body. But guess what? I'm going to do it again today. Well, it's possible to see this Christian life as a chore, a drag, something like, I don't want to do that. Why would I do that? And we can think, hey, I already got this. I believe it. And so we don't make the effort. That is, we don't make the effort to read the Bible, just to read it all the way through. To become familiar with it. And so, because we're not familiar with it, we really don't know what the Bible says. But then, we also don't learn how to study it. We think, well, that's for theologians. And I'm just Joe Normal. So, we never get answers for those questions. We read along and something comes up and we go, what? Oh, well. I guess I'll never get that. And so we stay in the dark because we don't really know how to study our Bible and get answers. And then we don't meditate in the Bible. So that word really doesn't get written on our heart. And then it's just in our heads. Now, you know, we're going to fall into various trials. That's what it says in the first part of James. And when that trial happens... We're not going to respond in the right way because we have a head knowledge and we say, yeah, I believe that's true. But then in my heart, I go, nope, I don't believe a word of that. And so we kind of get kermangled in that trial. The scripture doesn't really help us because it's not part of us. Now, James says this is like 
looking in a mirror and forgetting what kind of person you are. He says it's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, one Greek scholar I read gives the idea like this. He glanced at himself, and off he goes. Now, when you look in a mirror, it shows you the outside. And if you're worried about how your hair is arranged, it lets you know it's perfect. And it shows you the outside. That's what a mirror does. And hey, when you're looking good, you're doing good. And you know, that's what the world thinks and believes. I, I read the story of a guy, one of these Beverly Hills guys, and he, he uh, established a hair salon in Beverly Hills. Kind of guy that wears a long ponytail and wears a cowboy hat. And the first thing he did when he got to Beverly Hills is he rented a Rolls Royce. And he drove around in a rented Rolls Royce. And everybody looked at him and thought, that guy's doing great. And because he looked like he was doing great, they all came to his hair salon. He became a success. So his motto is, if you're looking good, you're doing good. And everybody believes that. Whoa, he looks like he's doing good. So we come up to the mirror, catch a glance. Hey, looking good. Buzz on out. Because if we're looking good, we're doing good. But look what James says here. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, a mirror only shows you the outside. It doesn't show you what kind of a person you are. All it shows you is that you got all your buttons buttoned and your your zipper is zipped all the way up. You know, you're not going to embarrass yourself and you're shaved. You look good. But it doesn't tell you what kind of person you are. The word of God shows us what cannot be seen. And that is our hearts. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You ever wondered why he throws joints and marrow in there? That's the deepest part of you. And this word of God slices right to the deepest part of you and lets you know what you're really thinking, what kind of a person you really are. So the word of God tells us that man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. What does God see when he looks on our hearts? He sees that we are still sinners, 
who need to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, we still need to depend upon Jesus according to his word. Now, Paul, in Galatians 2, verse 20, tells us what kind of people we who believe in Jesus really are. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And when you look intently at the word of God, you see Jesus. Look intently is the word that James uses. Verse 25. It's the same kind of word that describes what Peter and John did when they stooped to look into that tomb of Jesus, which they found to be empty. Not a glance. But they were into it. They were carefully looking and noticing. Look, the grave clothes are over here. But the head part is folded up over here. So it means to look into it, to consider, and to keep looking at it. When you come to the Bible, you are looking into Christ. In Psalm 40, it says, In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Jesus showed the disciples all the scriptures in the law, the prophets, the Psalms, written concerning him. So that's the, the Old Testament. It really speaks of Christ. And all the New Testament is about Jesus. The whole Bible. That's the subject of the Bible, is Jesus Christ. And when you look into the Bible and see Jesus, you're going to see his humility and his glory. In the prophets and the gospels, we look at his sufferings and his humility. And the value of that is in Hebrews 12, verse 3. The writer says, Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You're going to be strengthened as you look at the sufferings and humility of Jesus. But also in the prophets and in Revelation, we see his glory. The value of that is in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. 
So, as we look at that glory of Jesus, we're transformed into that same image as we look carefully at it. So, if we don't read our Bibles, we are cheating ourselves of looking at Jesus. But then there's more. The gospel is a perfect law. We have to be clear about what we mean when we say doing the word. This is not trying to obey a commandment that is impossible for us to perform. That's the old way of doing things. That's the old covenant. And Moses writes that the one who does these things is going to live by them. But the new covenant is Christ in you, willing and working for his good pleasure. This is spoken about in 1 John 2, verses 7 and 8. He says, Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. So John says, I'm not writing a new commandment. This isn't different than what God required under the old covenant. It's the same commandment. You can boil it down to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That commandment hasn't changed. But it's how it's fulfilled. Under the old covenant, it's up to you. Love everybody. Good luck. Do you find that easy? Not me. But the new covenant says this. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So Jesus' way of doing things is to put the old self to death And to give us a new life and to live in us and to enable us. And what is the effect? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now God's goal has always been for us to bear fruit. Fruit is the character of our lives and loving people. And that's what he's talking about here, James is, in verses 26 and 27. 
He says, if you think you're religious, but you don't bridle your tongue, you're deceiving your own heart. Your religion is useless. So this life with Jesus has to show up in our lives. And one of the results of the Holy Spirit living in you is the ability to tell yourself no. So you want to come out with that hurtful thing that's going to show that other person, you can't fuss with me. And the Holy Spirit says, you know what? Don't say that. Not going to help. Just be quiet. And so you keep your mouth shut. Let it go. Forgive everybody, Lord. They know not what they do. You will find that is true in most cases. Even when they know exactly what they're doing. You don't know what you're doing. I forgive you. And then, this love is also manifested in doing good for others. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So you know what? You're squared away. You're doing great. You're going to heaven. But what about everybody else? What about these people that can't do anything for themselves? You see, the whole purpose of the law is to be right towards somebody else who's in trouble. So you help these people that can't help themselves. And you're going to keep yourself unspotted from the world, unblemished. Because, boy, living in this world, you're going to pick up dirt just walking around. And it happens. So you learn, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. And you can keep yourself unspotted if you think, is that gonna, is that worthless? Well then what am I doing looking at it? Forget that. I'm not gonna look at worthless things. You know, that's gonna keep you out of trouble. So, God's goal has always been for us to bear fruit in our character and in our actions. Now, that's only possible as we abide in Jesus. In John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we neglect abiding in Jesus, because we're not abiding in his word, we can do nothing useful. We bear no fruit. And just this last week, it gripped me what it means to not be fruitful. To be useless because it's not fruit. Because I was reading in Revelation chapter 20, just doing my regular reading through the Bible. And that's where I came to. And I read about the judgment of the devil. 
he is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. There is no fruit from his life. There's no love. What the devil has done, and he's done a lot of things, but none of it is going to last. And he's useless. God literally throws him away. When he goes into the lake of fire, there are two people there ahead of him. The beast and the false prophet. These two men also did a lot of things. They ruled the world and they killed a lot of people and they deceived them. But there's no fruit in their life. That is, there's no love of God. There's no character of God. They're worthless and they have been thrown away by God. And then there's this great judgment in Revelation chapter 20. Heaven and earth are gone and it's the dead standing before God. Books are opened and especially the Lamb's book of life. And everyone is judged for the things that they did during their lives. Now these are people who did great things and did small things. And some of them conquered countries and led armies, destroyed, built nations, taxed, built great buildings. Some of these people are artists and musicians. They write and create great works of art. Some of these people invented things that changed the world. Built huge businesses. Made lots of money. Most of them had families. Had children. But here they are standing before God and there's no fruit in their lives. That comes from God being in them. This isn't something where God says, okay, bear fruit, and boy, if you don't, it's the lake of fire. These are people who just said, you know what? I don't want Jesus. Don't want him to rule my life. I want to be me. I want to do my own thing. But what have they done with it? Did they manifest that character of Christ, which is love and humility? Did they give of themselves for others? And so in the end, everything they did and everything they are, useless. And so they are thrown into the lake of fire. And what that means is they cheated themselves. They deprived themselves of that crown of life. So here's what we want to think about. Say you view being in the Bible as this chore, this thing that breaks your head, and man, I don't want to do this. You know, you're cheating yourself. You're thinking, oh, I got all these things I got to get done. But you know, unless you abide in Christ, none of it is going to be worth anything. And Paul knew people like that in his own lifetime. 
He says in Philippians 3, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Some people, their home is down here and they set their minds on it. But there are other people who say, no, my citizenship is in heaven. That's where I'm going. So this morning, James is roughing us up, and I am too. So you can ask yourself the question, where is my citizenship? Where am I headed? If your citizenship is in heaven, then keep on becoming a doer of the word. Live in that perfect law of the spirit of life. Keep looking into these things. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father, that you have made a life for us where we can have you living in us so that we're not on our own. It doesn't all depend upon us. We can still be us, weak, and by ourselves failing, but we can turn to you and say, please fill me with your spirit. Please live in me. Please let your power be made perfect in my weakness. Make me a person after your own heart. Help me to love everybody. We trust in you to do that. And even now we can think of things that we need to repent of. And turn to you and say, I've, I've sinned against you here and here. Lord, search our hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us. And lead us in your everlasting way. We trust you to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, the Lord bless you today and give you a great day. And if you can help out with the painting, why, come on out. Because we'll give you something to do. God bless you today. Jesus.